You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Welcome to the Future Net Zero podcast. And today we're talking about something that's very close to my heart because I've just got an EV. So EVs, the revolution that's coming. And, and I think that the thing that's really interesting about an EV is it's not a car. I realise that. Is basically a battery that moves. So what will happen with those batteries that move as we accelerate towards a future where we have the end of petrol cars? What will we do with how we use them to act as a charging point, as a battery store? How will we perhaps use them in the future to trade? How will companies monitor what their fleets are doing? There'll be a plethora of data that will come out of this. And will that be the reason that EVs will really take off? That's going to be the subject today. And I'm joined by two super experts. I like the word super. And they definitely are. I've got Murray from GemServe and Chris from Dodona Analytics. Murray, hello. Hello. How are you doing, Summit? Excellent. Do you want to tell them, uh, our lovely audience, a little bit about yourself and what GemServe does and your role there? Absolutely. So me and myself, I am an electric vehicle consultant and I work with GemServe who are super focused in the energy industry, working both in consultancy and professional services. We do do a lot of kind of administrative work, working with smart meters, all that sort of stuff. But specifically in terms of EVs, we are looking to work with both policymakers and investors to really help accelerate the transition towards EVs and kind of really bring some solutions and the glue and be the spider on the web that can bring together some already amazing technology that's in the field that could work kind of even better together and kind of work towards bringing what's currently a bit of a patchwork of technology into one singing and dancing kind of EV landscape. Yeah, understood. I didn't actually introduce your surname. I've got to pronounce, is it Screel? Is that right? It's Cyril. <laughs> Cyril, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. My pronunciation is shocking, it really is. Uh, and Chris, do you want to introduce yourself and what Dodona Analytics does? Yeah, so yeah, thanks, thanks, Summit. We're, we're data scientists, and certainly within the e-mobility space, the, the kind of you know, e- of which e- EV is is a big part of that is we're helping at the moment most of the companies that, that to be able to take an incomplete data set and apply a AI model to that to help with um, with data led decision. That's the, the the main thing that we're that we're doing at the moment, and. As, as you mentioned, you, know, you you're one of the early adopters, probably in the, the top one percent uh, that, that have gone taken to gone down the EV route. And I think at the moment where we are, we're still in that kind of transitioning, uh, early stage transitioning. But I think yeah. yeah, we firmly believe we're we're at the close to the the vertical part of the of the S curve. And when you look at you know, adoption of other consumer electronics and you know, air conditioning, refrigeration, color TV, all of those things that happened in the in the twentieth century. Yeah, we think that over the you know, next five or so years, there's going to you know, be a, obviously an enormous amount going on as we, we try and hit some of the global sustainability goals and, and, and net zero as well. Yeah, so let, I mean, let, let's talk about EV. So, okay, uh, it's very kind of you to say I'm an early adopter. I, I've, I've, had my, I've had my hell with my EV. So I'm going to give, give a little story. So why have I got an EV? Because I moved. Uh, after many years of living in a flat in in uh, sort of more inner London to the edge of London, and I now have a house which has a drive, which has allowed me 
to be a Ponce and get an EV. And that's great. And the EV is fine for driving around town. Great. But I absolutely pooped my pants when I had to go to, to Birmingham the other week, right? So I wrote about yeah. it because <laughs> I had every kind of range anxiety. It started off saying I've got 188 miles. I said, I'm going 108 miles. That's brilliant. I've got 80 miles in the tank. And when I got to about 20 miles from my destination, it said, you have 24 miles of charge. So I had to stop, go to a petrol station, a service station where there were those uh, kind of, you know, fast chargers and charge up. So let's talk about this before we start talking about the data. They are a bit of a pain in the butt right now, boys, aren't they? Yes, it's the short, it's the short answer. I agree with you. I think it's, yeah, the, the adoption range anxiety is one of those, the, is, is yes. one of those big elements. And it's, it's about, yeah, the availability. So we're, yeah, when we're helping people put that infrastructure in place, we're kind of, where could you put it? Power availability is a big thing. Where, yep. where should you put it? Yeah, where is it where is it going to be economically viable? When should you roll it out? So I think yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a lot of this infrastructure that's not as well connected as it could or should be. And yeah, you might turn up and go, okay, look, I've got eight miles left on my yeah my range, and that charger's not working. Yes. It's a bit like when I was when I was a teenager and I used to put two pounds of petrol in the car. You know, it's uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a bit similar to that. You were constantly I, I, in the orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are from the same age group, mate. Absolutely, two quid will last you a long time. So, so Murray, this is a big thing, isn't it? That right now, I would say EVs are for the rich, EVs for the people who've got convenient lives, and they're really just for cities. Well, that's one thing we are particularly seeing in the market. And actually, it's really, really important that, that the kind of UK PLC kind of creates an infrastructure, an infrastructure network that they can actually be proud of and doesn't leave anyone behind. Yeah. Like you touched upon the fact that you've just moved outside of London. You do have a driveway. You have yes. a place you, you know you can charge often. But that's where we really want to target such that we bring everyone with us. There are a lot of homes that don't have access to a driveway. I think it's, I think it's something like... Uh, to, to give you a stat, in terms of kind of fleet drivers, like um, only 45 or 45 percent of fleet drivers will not be able to charge at home. When a large majority of people who do drive fleet vehicles will actually return to home to charge. And at that point in time, it's 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 a really interesting conundrum to to make sure we bring everyone with us and not just those that can afford to do so. Yeah, and and that's the thing, isn't it? If you look at it, you know. We've got, we'll, we'll cover domestic, but I think really this conversation is all about kind of, you know, industrial fleet. And one of the big things that people are looking at is let's check, let's green our fleet, right? Let's green our transport. Before we look at what, where we would go in this, what, what do we need, guys, for this adoption to happen? Because let's take the three, three elements and discuss them all. One is price, they're bloody expensive. Two is infrastructure, it's, it's just not there. Uh, you know, whether it be home charging, in, if you live in a flat in London or Birmingham or, or Newcastle, how do you charge your EV and you can't even get a parking space? And I suppose the third thing is kind of the practicality element, because what I found was what would have been a two hour journey end up being a, a four hour journey because I had to stop for 40 minutes and 50 minutes on my journey back to, to charge. So, it you know, I've heard people say you stop to charge. Well, you charge to stop. You, you make that part of your journey. So that's a different way of thinking. So let's talk about those three things, price, you know, infrastructure and mentality, because I think those are the three barriers, aren't they? Mm, absolutely. I mean, and to echo your point about infrastructure, one thing that we found recently, and actually what's really interesting, that even with these barriers, it was seen in November that purchase rate of EVs 
is entirely outperforming what it was forecast to do so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, actually, it, it's left us in an interesting scenario whereby actually it's gone from being 15 EVs per one charge point on the street to 52 in some areas. So 52 cars wow. per one available wow. public charging infrastructure. So you're absolutely right. It is a big issue in terms of infrastructure. Yeah, so I think it has the potential to get worse before it gets better somehow. So, yeah, yeah, and no, I think you're that, right, Chris. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, the three things that you mentioned, you know, the price, the infrastructure, and the practicality, I think it all comes down to confidence. Um, so, yeah, what's the, the confidence and the tipping point that you're likely to want and need in order to be able to do that? And I think, yeah, there's once you kind of start drilling down into it, you, you've obviously got different flavors of chargers. You know, there's no point in having a 50,000 pound charger to you know that charges in 30 minutes if it's on your driveway yeah um, and likewise there's no point in having a slow charger that charges your car over eight hours on a motorway service station so there's flavors and blends that that everyone you know whether it's the gov local government national government you know the the manufacturers because they've got, obviously got a vested interest in it because they want to sell and also the people that the charge point operators you know what's the flavor what's the blend the right blend in order to be able to you know achieve or, or, or give that confidence to, to either co the consumers or the you know the fleet operators basically yeah and that's that's the challenge <laughs> and, and you know looking at that i mean if you think about it, here, here's the example, you know, my Birmingham trip, I was thinking about practicalities. I did have a little map that showed me charges, but none of those charges were going to be fast enough. I would have had to do the eight hour plug-in. So I took a risk, you know, pooping my pants to go, can I get to Cooley services, which I managed, where again, I had this thing you just mentioned there, Chris, where uh, the Ecotricity uh, one, I had to download an app, it didn't work, it was garbage. So I was like, oh, forget that. And then there was an Instavolt one, which was just contactless. And I just showed my bank card and it worked. So these are all things, aren't they, guys, that we are going to have. It's, it's, it's that classic thing of, you know, if you remember the old days of computers before that the, the six pin sort of printer thing and then someone invented something called the USB. And, you know, it was like, wow, no, you, there's no compatibility issue. We've got to get to that, haven't we, where we have the ability for all cars to be charged by all chargers. And it's a simple pay as you go sort of system. Absolutely. I mean, I think the there's also this kind of the thing I think about is the kind of grand, grandparent test. Is it so simple your grandparent could use it? And if that's not the case, then you know the the adoption is always going to be limited with the you know the early adopters that you see in you know any technology or rev, revolution. And I think that's arguably where we're where we're all trying to get to. You know, you touched on a, on a couple of other points, but you know that roaming. How do you have a single app that allows you? to be able to charge yeah, pretty much anywhere. Yeah. How do you know whether that infrastructure is going to be working? Is there real-time availability of that app? You know, one of the things that we work with, we're doing is, is providing you know, accurate availability to people, you know, whether it's a fleet, but, you know, it's probably more important for a fleet to be able to know that there's going to be charging infrastructure available on my intraday basis, or even your journey to Birmingham. Uh, something yeah. is, yeah, it's important to know that there's a yeah a 97% likelihood that 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 charge point is open and is going to be available at that time when you're likely to arrive between 12:30 and 12:45 or whatever it may yeah. be. And at yeah. the moment, that's just not joined up enough. So it's uh, <laughs> and it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that thing that you know, Murray, you know, that Chris is talking about is really the the, the crux of what you know we're talking about here, which is it, it, to, we need data, right? 
So, you know, the old days, you know, uh, my A to Z, I kind of knew where a petrol station was. I could see it. I could go there, I could fill up, right? Now, I did at exactly that point, you know, there are loads of different people making maps. There are loads of different chargers. There are loads of voltages of chargers. And you don't know if they're bloody working or not anyway. So is data, Murray, going to be like the real thing so that as these things get installed, they can all talk to each other and they can all talk to me, the consumer, whether I'm a, a fleet driver or a person, private person in an EV and start to help me find the right way to make my life as smooth as possible. What's your take, Murray? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, th I think I think data actually has a part to play right from kind of cradle to grave here somewhere. I think it plays a part not just in ensuring that consumers can can charge and know where they can charge and when they can charge, but also in terms of CPOs, charge point operators, putting mm -hmm. assets in the ground. It's really important that the whole industry takes a kind of evidence-based approach towards rolling out this infrastructure. Because worst case scenario here is we put out lots of infrastructure assets that end up stranded, whereby the, um, those that need to charge can't charge because they're in kind of poorer, location, poorer locations in terms of their utilization and be able to get to them. And they're just not usable where they are. And similarly for the for the charge point operators themselves, in terms of they want to make sure that if they're doing this, the utilization must be something they can rely on, something that can be not guaranteed, but something that allows them to know they're not having a stranded asset. And it's an asset that will be used by as many people as possible and as, as easily as possible as Chris, Chris touched upon. It's really, yeah. really important that this is easy for everyone chris is is it a question of money holding this back or is it just a question of basically you know we've got lots of little fiefdoms loads of different companies all trying to say we've got our bit it's that it's that classic thing of the the apple versus the android versus whatever you know Betamax and vhs if you go back as old as me is that where we are we we, we are in a in a bit of a not a wild west but we're kind of hey i've got this and you've got that and all that we kind of need some sort of standard or is it simply we just need yes, to more money? Yes, this is your answer. And <laughs> right, absolutely. Okay. And I think the the UK market in particular is pretty fragmented. So right. there are something you mentioned about, yeah, but there are there are roaming app providers, but all of these people want to take a slice of the pie as you know, Correct. or your pie yeah. as your as, as your yeah. charging. And and I think yeah, that's the traditional kind of you know growth model that we've that we've used here in the, in the UK. There is you know, obviously a, a lot of publicly fu public funding around. And there's also a lot of private funding around as well. And I mean, the EV space is, you know, really hot. You know, I was at the London EV show yesterday and I was talking to, you know, they will remain nameless, but they, they, they said they were looking for, for funding and they'd gone to Barclays and Barclays basically said to, said to them that, uh, you know, would you, you know, we're looking for 2 million in funding. They said, well, why don't you have 20 million? <laughs> and, and so there is there is money available yeah. but yeah. as you know, if you take money privately then there is an expectation that you're going to still have you know, a return on that so i think it still remains that you still need to make sensible you know evidence-based decisions and you know it is the wild west it's uncharted territory and it's it's about how you make the best best decisions that you possibly can at that point. Yeah, now, you're not going to get it right every single time, but yeah, I think we, you know, for the planet's sake as well, we need to get it right most of the time. So yeah, no, let me put this to both of you. I mean, what you're kind of talking about really is it's a funny old thing, isn't it? Is in a way nationalisation versus kind of the market forces, right? So 
do we need the government to step in and say, right, this is going to be the, the standard we use, and these are all the tick boxes you've all got to do, go off and then compete? Or do we just say, right, it's part of England and that's how it works and it's all kind of standard? Or do we let the market work it out and the market says, actually, do you know what? There's a lot more demand in London, so we're going to have a lot more faster charges and out in the sticks is a bit slower than fine. It's there, but you still need the convenience. So where, where are we, boys, on, on this kind of government stipulating or market creating? I think, I think there's two things to that. I think in the first instance, I do think standardisation is really, really important and enabling all of the technology to work together is really, really important. So in terms of ensuring, something the government can do is ensure that standards are put into place and that regulation is there such that we're all swimming in one direction. But I do also think it's really, really important that the existing technology that's there in the market plays a big part in that and actually guides the regulation towards what's already working and what could continue to work as we move forward. And as you've already touched upon, both of you, like the patchwork technology or the patchwork landscape that exists, and it is kind of fragmented if we can get it to a point that everyone's collaborating and working together in terms of the industry, that will help lead to, as, a, yeah. as opposed to just kind of just throwing things in the ground um, because it suits a, a singular business. It's really, really important that everyone works together from all angles here. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Murray, is I think you know, what we're seeing is that some of the people that we're collaborating with we would have traditionally regarded as competitors. <laughs> but because we were all moving so very fast in this you know, direction, this swim channel that, that Barry mentioned, we're seeing that actually, you know, there's so much that needs to be done. And so therefore we, you know, we're, we're collaborating with, with unusual sources. And I think that's a really positive thing, but it's bringing together commercial businesses to, to, to you know, all move in the same direction and go, okay, look, we, this is not, we could do this, but it's not our core competency. So yeah. why don't we bring someone else into, the, into that mix from that perspective? I think there is another element to this that we, we haven't really touched on from, from a certainly you know, either local or, or national government is that it's a, bit, a big concern you know, for those entities to make sure that we don't don't amplify the existing social disadvantage that exists in a particular a area. Absolutely. And that yeah. makes it worse. I think it happened with Birmingham last year with the, when they had the ULEV. And yes. it's like, actually, this is, this is you know, most of the people that live in central Birmingham have never bought a 40K car in their life. You know, I right. have, for example. Yeah. But, right. you know, there's, there is no residual market with EVs, you know, or really at the moment. And you know, therefore, you know, but forty k is a you know is a big capital purchase for pretty much yeah. everyone. So yeah. I think looking at this social disadvantage, and also you know something else that I think is going to be a topic next year is accessibility. You know, putting a charge point on the side of a you know dual carriageway, and you know a wheelchair user's got to get out, and the charge point's on the wrong side of the the, Absol you know, of the, of the vehicle. Yeah. These are things that we need to consider. You know, and the you know, you mentioned you know the, the vulnerability about you know your your journey to Birmingham. It's like if it's raining, it's late at night, and yes. you know, you're you're you know, a young parent with with two kids in the back of the car. That's that starts to become a very kind of scary scenario as Correct. well. And I think these are all extra facets that we need to start thinking about in, and in, you've, in you've, adoption. You've hit this really well because this is a big concern I have and on Vision Net Zero is that how do we make our transition to net zero just? And how do we make it equal? Because this is the point that if you are, you know, a mum, a single mum, and you've got your kids and you've got an old banger right now, you can fill your petrol up. Yes, it's more expensive, but you can get everywhere, right? But now what we're happening is 
you know, London, Birmingham probably come up. We're having these low zones, so they're taxing old cars, which are generally driven by poorer people. We're having the infrastructure is not there, so the transition can be quite scary. Do we have a real societal, you know, do you guys working in the market, you can't just think numbers now. You've got to think about what it means for people, don't you? Yes, is again the short answer, absolutely. I mean, I think there's... There's the potential, if you listen to some kind of futurists, you know, looking decades in, a, in advance, you know, it could be that we actually don't, you know, in 30, 40, 50 years time, you know, we go, oh, well, you actually used to own your own vehicle yeah, and we right. move much more yeah. to a shared ownership model. Just call, call, your, call your car up and it comes, the self-driving car. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the sort of thing, yeah. And that may happen. And it, and it may also happen, you know, I think that this has happened recently in New York. They've got delivery job, an issue with delivery drivers. And, you know, so this whole last mile is becoming a big issue. And, you know, to bring it back to the commercial side of things is we're all actually getting a lot more. The pandemic's brought this up as well, but we're all, we're all getting a lot more deliveries at home. Mm. And so that changes it as well. So they're actually, you know, how do you, you know, from a logistics perspective, you know, combine orders? How do you then make sure that you're, you know, I think you know, Amazon have started doing this recently, but they're badging their deliveries as being great or net yes. zero, net zero. Yeah. Yeah. and I think this is going to be a big trend next year which I think is one of the reasons why you know commercial fleets are going to move very very quickly to you know EV transition or adoption because certain consumers might you know my daughter's 17 you know she's much more of an eco warrior than I am and <laughs> she'll make decisions based upon this you know if she orders something and there's a diesel van sitting outside she'll go look I'm not ordering from them anymore I want someone that's delivering this in an EV yeah. So I think some of it will be consumer-led as well. So, Yeah, and, and, and I suppose, Murray, that this is the thing that, you know, businesses looking to transition, there's, there's kind of pressures there, which are, one, your own staff, obviously. Two, it, morally, it's the right thing to do. But three, it is where you want to be, don't you? And you, you want to look at your fleet and go, how do I get it from diesel to electric? Um, but there are quite a lot of issues for, for fleets, aren't there? Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing that stands out at the end of the day that having had a lot of conversations with some fleet owners at the moment, the, the key thing that stands out here is, frankly, they have no choice. It's it's getting to the point with the government's um, deadline of 2030 for sale of new petrol and diesel cars and vans, for that matter. It's it's getting to the point where, well, they have no choice but to electrify. And it's creating a solution whereby it works for them. I mean. There's a lot of fleets at the moment transitioning who are able to do it based upon depot charging. So return to depot. Yes, yes. And I can see that. That 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 works. You can see how that works, can't you? It's it's quite easy. Assuming uh, you've got a megawatt of power that comes well, into yeah, 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 Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But, but but the example where sorry to interrupt, but the big example where you know you you've got someone who, who who has a van and then they go home and they live in a council flat. But that van is, is the work van that they need to have charged ready for tomorrow morning. How are we going to do that for fleets? That's going to, you know, are we looking at, you know, your employer trying to help you go net zero by putting in a charging point in your local vicinity? Could that be all part of the thing that's happening? Well, what's really interesting is that it's not even just the van returning to a council estate, as you mentioned there. It's actually, Centric have come out and said that 60% of their drivers, regardless of where they live, will not be having charge points installed on their homes. That's a lot of vans just from one company that will not be charging at home. So that 60% of the Centric fleet will have to be able to charge on street using public yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. And, and that in itself is something that's going to require a lot of kind of 
evidence and data and bringing together existing players, as we've touched upon, to bring together a solution that actually brings wins across the board. It's, it's essential that if we do use data, we bring wins for CPOs, we bring wins for the fleets themselves, and the other layers that we can get from kind of these data insights in terms of ensuring that, that fleets can charge on the street. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why fleets may not be able to charge on a driveway if they are returned to home is the, the kind of initial commercial outlay. If an employee was to work for an engineering firm and they've just started and they've been given an electric van, who's going to put the charging infrastructure on that yeah, person's house? It's expensive. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. And that person could leave as well within the first Correct. few weeks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's a charge point on this person's house. They've got it for free. That's great. But the, that's not good business, you know. And it also applies to the person may have a, have a driveway that only fits one car. And they already have a car that's in that space. So again, they must park in the street. They may not have a driveway, as I've touched upon previously. And again, they're left charging on the street. That's a problem in itself, not just for, okay, where am I going to charge? But there, there could be a way you could flip it. For example, such that I live in London and it's not always the easiest to find a parking space on the street. Tell so me instead, about instead it. Of, exactly. So instead of worrying about um, where am I going to charge, if there was a solution that could make sure that people can charge where you, where you could reserve spaces and you know where you're going to be that, that evening within a distance of your house, that's, that's a way to flip the narrative, you know? Yeah. Um, let's just talk very briefly on data. And, and Chris, what data can we get? You know, we've touched about it, about kind of the, the car becoming a battery, becoming an energy source. But if you're going to sort of say broad areas that the data can really help uh, a business understand if it starts to electrify its fleet, what are you going to know? You're going to know kind of what you're using, how much it's costing, what sort of things? So it comes back to this kind of you know, could, could, should, when. And I'll give you a couple of, a couple of examples that yeah, we were talking to some guys last week and they yeah, they they, they got eighteen that fleet of 1,800 vehicles. So they're big enough, but you know, not not one of the biggest fleets that are out there. I mean, and they just transitioned, I think it's just over three hundred vehicles to, to EV. And we're like, oh great. So how did you make a decision as to which ones you, you, you did? Oh, we we picked the ones that were most recently up for lease. And it's just like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like the best way of doing that, guys. So, so it's looking at the telematics or the, or the movement of those individual vehicles, you know, looking at the driver's style and behavior, looking at, you know, the route planning of, say, a DPD driver and understanding where, you, where you're going from. So picking out those kinds of vehicle, uh, data, data points based upon what someone needs to achieve, what someone, uh, you know, what, what their movement looks like, even the individual driver behavior, you know, my right foot may be heavier than yours and so therefore my range is actually is never 200 miles it's only ever 130 yeah. because i've got a different yeah. driving style and yeah. you know it's so all of those kinds of things we're looking at the the availability you know, there's another company that that services um you know coffee machines and you know that one of them you know they've got people operating in the north of scotland where the distances are, you know huge between the you know the different clients whereas in central london or central city it's, it's very very different so you i think pulling all of those data points together we we collect a lot of publicly available data and then say okay what's your use case to our customers what's your use case what are you looking to achieve and how can we help you make a, a better decision as far as that's concerned so it's it's not always the same data it's almost always incomplete 
and we will almost always put an AI model over the you know, over the top of it to and train it with machine learning to be able to say, okay, right now we get the right the right level of results out of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, funnily enough, at the time we're recording this today, this story's just broken, which is the government has cut the plug-in grant by forty percent, so it's been cut down uh, to fifteen hundred quid. Now, this this is sort of inevitable, right? Because we can't keep funding you know you it's that the classic thing that we had with wind turbines you can subsidize you can subsidize but eventually as we all start to ditch our evs and right now my ev doesn't pay road tax and all that there will be a tax there will be the end of these kind of you know sweeteners is this just the inevitability of our transition is that we, we can't see that by having an ev you get some advantages eventually that they'll be the norm won't they guys yeah, I think that the curb price often with 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 an EV, and I think they cut these earlier. You know, either, I think COVID time seems to have affected me. I think it was I think it was earlier this year, uh, Summit. But essentially, a lot of the times that the the automotive OEMs or the dealers were were not passing that that uh, subsidy through to customers anyway. So if you look at actually the bottom bottom line price, it's not made a huge difference. But on the whole, yeah, I agree that you know you can't fuck subsidize something forever but i think it has been helpful there needs to be a little bit of a carrot to improve that confidence and that yeah, i hadn't seen the news but i think it's yeah ultimately it's a bit of a shame yeah i mean it, it, it was cut last in march and now it's been cut again but i suppose you know you know if you look at it murray that this this is the inevitability because markets have to mature they have to stand on their own don't they absolutely and i think this is in line as well with making sure we bring everyone along on this journey on the basis that have, having a grant um, of a £40,000 uh, brand new electric vehicle still only helps those that can still afford it. And as we move towards a scenario where everyone can get involved with having EVs, that requires a second and third hand market. And it's particularly hard to add grants into second and third hand car sales, whereby it doesn't just help those on the top line who are buying them brand new. So it's important that it's 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 fair and just across across the board essentially, and 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 at the moment the grant helps those who can buy them brand new, but will not be so applicable as we we sell cars for the first and second time having already owned them. Yeah, I, I get that, and I think that's true. So let's just end up, guys, looking at where we are. Look, we've talked about a lot of the barriers. We've talked about that. So, is the market inevitably going to grow? So uh, the positive of that, and let me be honest, right. I do like my EV. It's great to be silent. I watch the car in front of me chugging up loads of crap into the into the environment, and I feel slightly smug. I like that. I like the convenience of of home charging. The practicality is that I just use the car around London because that's really it. And I now know that if I'm going to do a long journey, flipping neck, I've got a plan for it. So yes, but you know, both of you have said this is because it's the early days. So play, paint me a picture. Go forward. I don't know, eighteen months, twenty four months. What are we looking at? One, one thing we are seeing, uh, particularly recently, is the forecast we have set. When they were initially set a couple of years ago for how how we see the EV market playing out, how we see the, the, the kind of take-up happening, it was maybe slightly thought of as optimistic. But more recently, we're starting to see that actually these forecasts may have been slightly pessimistic and that people are taking to EVs far quicker and far more easily than than what was ever predicted. And if this continues to, to grow such as this, it is really, really important 
that we do have the public infrastructure in place and that all of these players work together and use evidence to make sure it suits everyone as quickly as possible. Because I think, as Chris and I talk about quite a lot, lead to is the thing to do here and to, to take people on the journey with us is the way in which we can enable a an infrastructure that kind of UK PLC can be proud of. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, yeah. So what we're trying to do, and I think what you know, works, is how do you how do you do this better, faster, more? And I think that's what we're all looking to to achieve. And I, I want hopefully data or you know, data will will lead will lead this journey. I think there may also be some disruption of the disruptors. And yeah, I think there's a, some, a couple of fundamental things that are really not quite there at the moment. I mean, a, a route to residual for the automotive OEMs has always been the rental car markets. And none of the rental car companies are doing this at the moment. That's arguably another infrastructure problem because you normally rent a car if you've got a purpose of driving from A to B or you know continued use so usage over a period of time. That has to change because otherwise there is no that route to residual or second hand the second hand market does doesn't really exist. And I think that will change. Yeah. I think yeah, obviously the infrastructure to support that is absolutely essential. I think what might Rather than buying a 40k car, which is the kind of numbers that we seem to have picked on today, you know, the, the Chinese are creating EVs for about $5,000. And I think that there will be some kind of entrant where it doesn't need to be the prestige BMW or you know, German luxury sedan anymore. It's actually something that just gets you from A to B and you know, with, with a relative level of safety for you and your family. So yeah. I think that there, there will be be some kind of step change from a disruption perspective but i think one thing that is absolutely certain is if if you can't change the things there'll be there'll actually lots of stranded assets before the four wheels by the side of the road so <laughs> that's the thing we want to try and avoid sounds like 28 days later we don't want that yeah exactly um, and finally just guys for, for for the business people that are listening on this as well as the general audience if, if um you know you've got business and you're looking for some assistance then murray you know you're happy to get involved is that right yeah, absolutely. Please reach out. We are working with everyone and anyone that wants to help accelerate this transition. And we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, if you want to do that better, faster, more, and you want to be able to answer the, the questions of could, should, and when, then yeah, we're pretty happy with helping with that. So. Yeah, look at that. So we've come to a nice uh, end to this conversation. Uh, it's been brilliant. Look, I think, you know, if you're listening, don't think that EVs are a disaster just because of my journey. I think they are the future. I think they are great, but there are problems. But I think, you know, we've, we've touched on a lot of things that need to be done. And I think the consensus is that we have to have a consensus. Actually, end of the day, we've got to work together, whether it's business, whether it's kind of uh, government infrastructure planning, all of that. But I think, you know, our future is definitely going to be hopefully one where our, our streets are a little bit cleaner for all our kids and all our families, a little nicer to breathe. Um, gents, thank you so much for joining us on futurenetzero.com. You have been listening to a promoted podcast from FutureNet Zero. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.